Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. All right, here we go. They just got to throw it under the basket. Under the basket. It's down to seven seconds. It's the Drew for the win. Gone. Oh! He did it. A miracle. Hutchins. Double order. Hit that one from the parking lot. What's up, Degenerate Nation? Welcome to the Big Bets on Campus podcast presented by BetMGM. This is the early week college basketball betting preview and weekend recap. I'm Stucky, and joining me, as always, are Mike Calabrese and Greg Waddell. So, what are we going to cover today? We will talk about the weekend that was. Exciting weekend in college basketball, as always, with March right around the corner. I think we have 20 days until Selection Sunday, 24 until the first Thursday (laughs) of the tournament. Can't wait. We'll talk a little bit about the weekend rants, and then we'll each – we'll talk a little bubble. Uh, Well, just like you guys did last weekend – when I was traveling, we'll each take a, a team. Well, actually, we each take two teams on the bubble, buy or sell. Whether that's buying or selling, you can take it two ways. Buying them to get in or, you know, selling a team to not make the dance or whether or not you're buying or selling a team to potentially make a run. We'll call it, you know, potential to get to the second weekend. And then we'll obviously talk about a couple spots we have circled early this week for Monday and Tuesday. But let's uh, let's start things off with the weekend that was. Greg, I'll start with you. Anything you want to rant about? Any key takeaways? What do you got? Yeah, I got a key takeaway and I got a rant. I'll start with uh, uh, showing some love to a team that Calabrese tried to tell me I should expect this to happen to. Houston deserves to be considered in that very top tier of college basketball alongside Purdue and UConn. Deserves uh, to be considered. Oh, listen, uh, listen, I, well, I'm back, correcting myself. I'm correcting myself because I came here on the BBOC live on Saturday and I <laughs> called them 1C. That was the phrase. I said they're 1C. They're not 1C. Uh, they are They are equals to the top two teams that I thought were the top two teams in college basketball, if not ahead of it, like Ken Palm has tried to tell us they are all season long. Uh, look, you don't go on the road against a top 25 team like Baylor and just smack them in the mouth and lead by 20 at half the way that Houston did. Uh, and I know that it wasn't actually 20, I don't believe, but it felt like it, right? They just destroyed them physically. You nailed it, Calabrese. Ray J. Dennis had two turnovers in the first 90 seconds of the game. I could not have been more wrong about that. Now, Baylor did make it interesting 
which maybe is why I'm not always going to be able to be all the way in on Houston. The fact that they did open the door back up, but uh, man, the way Jamal Shedd is playing with that defense, which is like top three in every single individual defensive category you can find. Um, I think it's historically elite on that end. And if they get shed playing the way he has been, they could certainly win a national championship. So this is me eating crow. And then my rant quickly, uh, Michigan state, Man, Tom Izzo, he starts his five-star freshman, Xavier Booker, on Sunday afternoon. First time this season. I've been begging for it all season long. His centers stink. That's been the story. He he apparently trusts Xavier Booker. Booker did some really nice things. He hit a three. He had three blocks, looked like the guy. And then within an eight-point lead with eight minutes left in the game, he never checked back into the game. Izzo went to Mati Sissoko in crunch time. They blow a 10-point lead. How about a loss to Ohio State? Now you're firmly back on the bubble. I'm frustrated on behalf of Michigan State fans everywhere who just watch Tom Izzo keep driving this team into a wall over and over again, trusting these horrible centers. Yeah, I Michigan State was one of my key takeaways. Uh, why not try to use Booker down the stretch? I, I don't get it. And are we sure Michigan State's in the field? Um, I mean, obviously, if they win at Purdue, which I can't see, they're in. But are, are we... A hundred percent convinced, and we'll talk about some bubble teams. But like, if they lose one of these more winnable games down the stretch, and then lose in like the first round of the Big Ten tournament, aren't aren't they potentially out? Hundred percent, they're right on the cut line. And look, their last week after Purdue, which we all think they're going to lose, is Boo Booey on their senior night. Boo Booey has historically owned Michigan State head to head. Uh, and then you got to go at Assembly Hall. I know Indiana's down, but like that's that's not an easy environment to get a win. Things are trending in the wrong direction for sure. Yeah. Uh, Calvary, somebody, what do you got? Can we talk court storming for a moment? Um, I'll, I'll kick it to the panel here. I was someone who stormed a court before. I started at University of Missouri 2005 in the spring. It was a down year for Quinn Snyder's team. They ended up going to the NIT. But the last regular season game of the year, they upset number seven Kansas in the rivalry game on their home floor. And I was there storming the court. And one thing that came to mind for me is Kansas brought their own state troopers and they had them basically flank the team. One of them had a pistol out. And I got to tell you, when somebody sees a gun in that situation, all of a sudden the C parts and those guys are able to get off the floor. This whole thing where it's like, oh, we have to end court storming. No, college athletics has more money than it's ever had. I want to be a job creator. Send more state troopers. Send <laughs> you know bodyguards for every single player and have an exit strategy. When you're a team like Duke and you're ranked in you know the top ten and you're playing against a school that hasn't beat you in forever, you got to prepare and have some kind of exit plan for that scenario. The fact that Flip got hurt, it sucks. I feel bad for him, but it's not like he was assaulted and something horrific happens and you know the paramedics were there. He, he twisted his knee up. I, don't, I think that's a bit of an overreaction to say that we can't storm the court ever again. There's things that can be done based on the home team in terms of their security and the away team in ter terms of their security. Have a good plan together and you get to enjoy it as the fans and the players get to be safe. I think this is something that can be solved. And I think this whole overreaction that we have to do away with it. Also, people being like, Wake didn't deserve to storm the court. They were favored. Spare me the bullshit, okay? Listen, they're unranked up against Duke, who they always want to beat, and they finally do it. That's an absolute court-storming-worthy performance. So I think it's ridiculous on that front as well. Who was uh, – yeah, I'll give my thoughts in a second, but that, that Missouri team, that wasn't like uh, – that wasn't Paulding, and it wasn't Rush. 
It was post polling, um, post rush. I believe Arthur Johnson was our best player. He was a center at the time. Not a great Mizzou team. Not a vintage Mizzou. Like Le- Linus Kleiza on that team, maybe. He was <laughs> I think big, he was. Uh, Kleiza may have been the next year when he put the. Also, one of the best names in college yeah. football history, the Vanilla Gorilla. He put the team on his back uh, for a bit the following season. Um, I think Matt Mitchell was in the house as well. I don't know if he got to the court. We had a mutual friend who was an absolute brick, you know what house. And I just basically used him as a fullback to push through three to four levels of the crowd to get onto the floor. I made it onto the the front page of the Kansas City, I guess it's Gazette or Star. But yeah, that was that was my college high at Mizzou before I transferred. Yeah, I one of my the Rush Paulding teams, one of my favorite, my personal uh all-time favorite teams. Uh, like just as a as a fan, I love that team. I think they lost to Duke in the second round. One of those years, they were one eight. of those years, and they also lost to D Wade and Novak. Novak hit like a bunch of threes in overtime to go to the Final Four. Mizzou still looking to break through that ceiling and make the Final Four for the first time. Yep, and I believe that 05 team. Sorry for anyone that's under the age of uh, thirty five. Um, <laughs> I believe that team, that Kansas team that year, they lost to Missouri to close out the regular season. They lost to Bucknell in the first round. They sure did. They were selling Bucknell t-shirts. They were selling Bucknell t-shirts on campus. It was uh, McNaughton. Um, McNaughton, was- Master Polo. Yeah. Uh, one of, that Bucknell, I love that Bucknell team. I, I bet I had a bet on Bucknell that game. Uh, that was game a, was fucking awesome, by the way. John Griffin, I think, came off the bench for that Bucknell team, and I knew him because – in fourth grade, I was a very good basketball player at Waldron Mercy Academy. I was like our all-star, and John Griffin at St. Margaret's was the all-star. His basketball career went a little better than mine, but I was always kind of pulling for him as somebody who used to have a little rivalry with me. Yeah, that Bucknell team, that was amazing. That little baby hook in the lane by McNaughton to win the game was phenomenal. Yeah, I was an all-star in eighth grade, uh, BYU Athletic Club, uh, and that's why we're all talking about basketball now, not playing. Uh, it's when we peaked. But uh, my thoughts, uh, Greg, uh, I'll let you jump in. Do you have any thoughts on 2005 Missouri basketball? <laughs> well, I have thoughts on the the simple fact that it is a good reminder as we turn the page to March, guys. Uh, the narrative back in the day was that Bill Self couldn't get it done in March in 2005, right? So just because yeah. a coach hasn't done it yet doesn't mean they're not going to end up a coach with a very great yeah, track. Yeah, Jay Wright had that, yeah. Tony Bennett. It's That's always going to exist. It's a It's a – crazy tournaments one and done there's going to be some coaches that go a long time without winning it uh my thoughts on court storming yeah it's part of college basketball should let it happen but there's a way to do it at the end of the game it's like you and you see sometimes teams do this let the other team get off the court sometimes you can do that like while you're dribbling it out right you just the other team ushers to the butt sometimes at the buzzer okay you know it's, it's great you would want to rush the court right when the buzzer when the horn sounds but sometimes that's not possible <clears throat> So let the other team get off, and then you can rush the court. If you rush the court beforehand, big fine. I think that solves it, like a huge fine, right? And then you just have the security guards there saying, no one rush till the other team leaves, and then you can rush the court. Because uh, there's just no need to rush the court when the other team is on the court. Like, it's just going to lead to shit like this over time. Uh, injuries, fights, like just dumb shit. If there was a market on player most likely to get injured and then tweet that this needs to change due to court storm flip would have been top five in the market. Right. Like, yeah, he's, he's living up to the Duke villain that we love that we know and love. And I hope he's, he's fully fine. I expect he's going to be fully and fi- fine guys. Like if he misses time to this, I'll be genuinely shocked, but uh, obviously we hope that doesn't happen. Yeah. He, uh, he's getting an MRI today. Right. I think. 
Yeah. I joked on Twitter. I was like, how much more do we have to bump Wake Forest home court advantage if Filipowski's getting hurt in the court storm? I mean, how much how much better can they get at home? All the home juggernauts this weekend. Home Kansas, home Wake Forest, home Nebraska. These teams that just never lose at home, uh, seemingly. We're all covering machines. I, I guess I'll, I'll bring up – it was an awesome Saturday. There were some great games. I'll bring up the Kentucky-Alabama game. So Kentucky at its peak – at its ceiling is one of the best teams in the country because their offense that Alabama is like the perfect matchup for them. And, you know, obviously Alabama missed Reitzel, but when Kentucky can just play, like it's almost like, you know, in a way an all-star game, but like, just like, it's kind of like a rec game and they can, and then just their offense can come out and shine. Alabama's not that physical of a team, especially down low. And that's where Kentucky shines. Now you're going to see how how does and Kentucky's defense has been a little better. They got they've gotten lucky from three point shooting. There's still many holes, but now we're going to see because this is going to tell you a lot about Kentucky. And okay, how much have they improved? Mississippi State on Tuesday is the opposite of Alabama, right? Physical team uh, can abuse Kentucky down low in the post, and then Kentucky has to rebound from that Alabama win. If they can go into Starkville and pick up that win and their defense shows up and their post defense shows up, I would be impressed. I have my doubts. So I think Kentucky, they're going to be a really tough team to kind of peg when you have, when you get your bracket. Like, could they go to the Elite Eight? Yes. Could they lose in the first round? Yes. But I think a lot of it has to do with the types of teams that they get. Like, you know, for example, if Kentucky had to play Houston at any point, oh, God, uh, it would. I think it would get ugly. You know, now granted, they have some shot makers. Maybe they can make it interesting, but just physical teams that can get, that can work it down, that which is not Alabama. And that Alabama defense, when they're not at home, uh, I think is going to be their downfall. I, I can't see that team cutting down the nets with some of their defensive holes. Uh, Greg, any thoughts on that take takeaways from Kentucky, Alabama? I think you nailed it. I uh, I have a really hard time trusting Alabama against the best opponents they play. And we spoke to it on BBOC Live, but I believe they're one in six against Ken Palm top 25 teams on the season. Now, some of these losses have really been ugly for them. I, I love Mark Sears. I love watching that team, but there was just a clear caliber difference in that game to me. And I want to believe in Kentucky. I really do. I think their defensive improvements are legitimate, but uh, we need to see it carry over for a couple games in a row now. They have been very streaky where it's like one game, they're hot one game they're cold the lsu game sticks in my mind uh if they can put together like two weeks straight of this play i'm gonna really buy this team going to the ncaa tournament yeah kentucky is kind of it's just fitting that they're probably going to slide into that 5-12 matchup where quite literally you could say to yourself they're going to the elite eight or they're going to lose in the first round to mcneese or indiana state like if they just get the wrong matchup and cannot get any stops on the defensive ends it could be curtains for them right away but Matchup dependent. I mean, Alabama, I would argue, of all the power conference teams with a winning record in the entire country, they're the best matchup for the Wildcats. Like what they struggle with defensively on the road, it, it just became a showcase. So I'm, I'm glad that I had the over there. That was probably the least sweatiest bet of the entire season for me. By the time I was checking in and trying to do the math in my head, I was like, they're going to score 200 points in this game. Yeah, the K- Kentucky ideal path, in my opinion is you get Arizona as your one, right? So you don't, you get, uh, is Arizona still projected as a one? I would think. Um, yeah. Like yes. Connecticut, Purdue, Houston, 
with their physicality and their ability. And this is assuming Kentucky can get to the, you know, to the second weekend and face the one seed, but Arizona in like a wide open game where both teams are just running up and down and it's like first to 95. That's the, that's the one seed that Kentucky wants. They don't want any of the others. I actually have a twist on that stock. I think they could fare well against Purdue and it might sound crazy here, but the thing with Purdue is you got to have multiple front court bodies to throw at Edie. You got to use 15 fouls. Kentucky yeah. has three they can do that with. You also have to have guards that can put Edie in drop coverage and hunt shot making opportunities over Braden Smith, over Fletcher Lawyer, who are not very physical. I think they'd really struggle with Shepard, with Dillingham, with Wagner, with Reeves. Um, but we did this last week. It was like, what's the dream perfect draw? And I was arguing they'd rather see Purdue than Arizona. I think they could take either of them, though. Yeah, I, yeah. I mean, with Purdue, their backcourt could have some success. My worry there is that Purdue would just dominate the glass on both ends, slow it up, and keep them out of transition. Um, would be my concern a bit. Whereas Arizona, when they get a chance to play in a game where they just want to run up and down, um, they're happy to oblige. And that's Kentucky so deadly in transition. But yeah. I could see them having success against Purdue. I think Houston and UConn are the two worst ones for them to get. For sure. Um, all right, let's move on to the bubble and let's buy and sell. I tried to look at some markets this morning. There's only like, I looked at uh, one book out there. They only have two teams. They have Northwestern, yes, minus 300, and Providence. I actually like Providence, no, plus 100. I have them like four. I think they're like just going based on some other sites, like shout out to Torvik and Haslametrics and just looking at the schedule and with my projections, I think that they're like, and you can get them no plus a hundred. I think they're like 40, 45% to make it. They obviously have, they have more, they're at Marquette and they have UConn. So they win one of those games. They're probably in, but I don't think that they will. And then, then there's like a limited an elimination game against Villanova. So I think that Providence and the committee has to weigh the fact that Hopkins is out for the year. So I think Providence no plus a hundred has some value. That's the only thing I could find out there as of right now. The market's as of right now is very spotty. You, you'll see some odds sometimes, sometimes not. And the team that I'm buying, if I, there's no odds out there, but is if I could to get into the tournament, they're dog. They would be dogs right now at St. John's. And the reason for that, if you look at their schedule, they get this the win at Butler would be huge, basically a coin flip game. But then they have Georgetown and DePaul left. And based on the tiebreakers, because they swept Villanova and then they split against Xavier and then how the rest of the season should play out, I think that they're going to end up with either a four or a five seed in the Big East tournament. And then you'll probably get like Providence um, or Villanova. And here's the thing they have in their back pocket is where the Big East tournament is played at. It's played at the Garden. So uh, I think that St. John's has a good chance of sneaking up. And if they can get in, uh, I think that they can be a dangerous team once they get out of the Big East. I think that, look, you're, Dingle's playing better of late. You have the emergence of Wiltshire. If they play a team that just encourages you to work from the mid-range, like with the caulk drop, they they, they would love to play Creighton all, all, year, all year round because uh, Jenkins and that offense just operate. They love to operate in the mid-range. But with Patino and that defense, they could make some noise. I think they're going to have a good shot to get in with how the schedule breaks. And then especially you're going to get like, if you're that four or five, I think they win that game. And then you're going to have a chance to beat UConn on your home court, basically to lock up 
uh, a tournament berth if you win that game. So I'm buying Johns to, to to get in more than I think the market is implying. Obviously needed that win over Creighton, which they got. And then if they do get in, I think that they potentially could make it to the second weekend uh, and be a dangerous team. But uh, Greg, let's start with your buy. Yeah, I, I went about this slightly different, mostly because I was frustrated. Like you said, the market is just so spotty. Like uh, you, one second, you can find a couple of different teams, and then they're taken off an hour later. Uh, the two that I'm going with do not have any odds available that I could find not to make or miss the tournament, likely because they're both going to make the tournament. But I'm doing, do I buy this team making a second weekend run potentially, or am I selling that? Seton yep. Hall is my buy. Uh, I, I'm very, very in on what I'm seeing from this team right now. I think the whole story of Seton Hall's season since January has just been, is Kadari Richmond healthy? Is he available or not? They're 11-3 and three in Big East play when he has been. They've got some of the best wins in this league. Like, they beat Marquette. They beat UConn. They've won on the road at St. John's, at Providence, at Butler. Those are not easy places to go in and win. Uh, I think Kadari has just been incredible and nobody is really talking about it at a national level. I think this guy's playing like one of the top three or four guards in the country right now. He is single-handedly a guy who can dominate a game with his pace, with his change of pace, with getting to the rim, with backing you down, with hitting these tough shot-making-esque shots that kind of buy certain players national appeal in the NCAA tournament. And when I'm looking for a team I want to buy at this point in the season – I like coaches that we have seen a history of success. Shaheen Holloway, man, he's done it before. I don't know if it's a magic touch thing or not, but I know that when they get there, even if they're an underdog in that first round game, I'm not going to be afraid of an underdog mentality with a Shaheen Holloway team. Um, I, I just think Kadari is going to be the best player on the floor, no matter who they play for two games in March. So I'm buying second weekend potential for the Pirates. Yeah, not the, a couple of things that I like about them. Very comfortable in the half court. They will grind a game down, play elite defense. One of the most experienced teams in the country, uh, just loaded with experience across that roster. I mean, they start five seniors, right? They're not that deep, which is kind of the one thing that worries me, but they, they do a really good job despite how physical they are with, with defending without foul. Like, what? Uh, let me pull up their, they're like top 50 in free throw rate, which I wouldn't have expected. They're not too three point reliant and they can d just dominate the offensive glass. But just a really physical team that is going to be up in your grill and defend at an elite level with a point guard like Richmond uh, leading the way. Um, yeah, they're going to be a dangerous team come March that nobody is going to want to want to face. And they fit, they check a lot of the boxes of a team that you uh, of a team that could potentially make a run. Let me go to you, uh, Calabrese. Who are you buying? So similarly, I'm, I'm cheating a little bit in this. I'm looking at the Missouri Valley and the potential to get two teams in. Now, if you go by Bart Torvik's uh, tourney cast and you look at Indiana State, he has them at just about 34% to win the automatic bid, win Arch Madness and St. Louis. But they're at large odds. He has just hovering around 16%. And I think it's a foregone conclusion. They're going to win out for the rest of the regular season. And then as the one seed, I think it's, pretty clear that they're going to get to the title game. And if they do, there's a lot of things outside of their control that they need to have happen on the bubble to be able to sneak in if Drake were to upset them in a low, you know, uh, let's call it a one possession loss, something like that. 
but I just view them right now at 26 and five with all of the advanced metrics loving them so much. We know the committee at least consults some of these stats. They're top 10 in points per game at 84. They're first in rim and three rate, which means that they're one of the most efficient teams in the country. Top 15 in floor percentage, three point shooting, foul shooting, defensive rebounding percentage. They bring a lot to the table in that regard. But in terms of a team, if they were to sneak in and they're going to need to win the automatic bid, being the Drake Bulldogs, if they get in, this is one of the teams I have circled as an 11 or 12 seed to make a run to get to the second weekend. You look at what they've done against Indiana State, they split with the Sycamores, and they were tied up with Indiana State with under a minute to go at their place. Their 42nd in turnover margin, which is a stat that I really lean on in the tournament because it's great if you force turnovers, but if you're giving the ball away as well, it's kind of a wash. So they're plus over, you know, two and a half per game. They're really strong offensively, not quite as strong as Indiana State, but they're 17th in shooting efficiency. Very good on the defensive glass. And then you get Tucker DeVries. He's averaging 21, six and three, almost four per game. And against Indiana State and Nevada this year, he's elevated his play, 27 points per game across those three. And I think that's a nice little palate cleanser for what happened to him in the tournament last year against Miami. I think he went one for 13. That's got to be burning, you know, in his memory just to try to get back to postseason play, even Arch Madness and take over. They have zero at large shot. It's like 0.4%. But, you know, Torvik views it as 27% that they win Arch Madness. I think it's a little better than that. And if they get in, that's a team I'm interested in riding with. Yeah, I still have nightmares about that DeVries game because I love Drake against Miami. This podcast is proudly presented by BetMGM. Use bonus code ACTION when signing up to get up to $158 in bonus bets when you bet $5. For new users in Arizona, Colorado, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Kentucky, Louisiana, Maryland, Massachusetts, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, and Wyoming. Terms conditions apply. Must be 21 or older. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Speaking of uh, the tournament last year and a team that I'm selling, this Florida Atlantic team, I'm I'm just not impressed with. Their defense has fallen off a cliff. They can't rebound on the defensive end. Are we sure they're in the dance? I so like they. Here's the thing: coming into this year, Florida Atlantic had that run. If they don't call, get that, that foul mess at the end against Memphis, never happens. Where are they coming into this year? What is people' expectations? And then if they don't beat Arizona in double overtime. Um, that win's probably going to get them in, but they don't have another win over a tournament team. They're, they should have lost to Tulane. They got a bullshit call. They beat UTSA, who, by the way, UTSA is uh, – I love you, UTSA. I've bet them the last couple games, and they've covered with ease for me. But they lost. They should have lost to UTSA as well. Uh, this team, they're going to have a target on their back. They're, yes, their offense is really good. They have a lot of talent on that end. But I just haven't been impressed with FAU. I'm selling them if they get in. And I'm just not fully convinced that they're they're 100% in right now. I wouldn't be surprised if they get left off. That Arizona win on a neutral court obviously looms so large. It'll probably end up getting them in. Uh, But I'm selling FAU and everything about them right now. And by the way, speaking of the tournament, I think this will end up taking care of this if itself. But I don't two teams. I don't want any part of just get get. I don't want to see them anywhere near the bracket is Villanova. And Virginia, 
get Virginia out of my life. They're 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 playing like four possessions slower than last year, which is insane. But this team, they're living off. They beat a, under a shorthanded uh, Florida team in like the second game of the year. I think Poland didn't play. I forget who else was out. And then they beat Texas A and M, who like. I mean, I bet Virginia that game. Texas A&M was playing like their fourth game in a week. They had all these guys out. I think Radford was out. Um, and they just came off that Iowa State comeback. Like, those are their two wins from November. Can we have some context? Like, those are shorthanded teams anyway. Texas A&M probably not going to make the tournament. Uh, but they beat a Florida. The Florida team was completely different. Poland wasn't playing. They're living off that. And then like a 41-40 win over Wake Forest. Like, get them out of my life. I keep seeing them in the field. Why are they in there? Anyway, uh, who are you selling, Greg? And any thought? If you you can have thoughts on Virginia, Villanova, FAU, if you'd like. Yeah, 137 points in their last 120 minutes of basketball. <laughs> Haven't scored 50 points in a game in three games now for Virginia. I'm right there with you. And uh, yeah, on Florida Atlantic, Dusty May. I feel for him because I think he he's going to get a job. I know he's going to get a job, but his peak value would have been leaving after last year's run, not the yeah. the whole run it back. Let's let's welcome the critics because you might miss the tournament. And then what does that reflect on you as a coach? I'm going to sell high for once, boys. You'll be proud of me here. I'm going to sell Wake Forest after the huge win over Duke. Yeah, this team is going to get in. That was a massive, important win. Um, barring a huge meltdown in the final two weeks, they're in the field. They just are so much different at home than they are away from it. And you guys tried to warn me about it this weekend, but they're shooting 43% from three at home on the season. They haven't lost a game there. In 12 games outside of their own gym, they're shooting 31% from three this year. I, like that's insanity. Uh, I, and maybe they will get hot for a game. I don't think they'll hot, get hot for two games in a row. They needed a pretty generational night from Hunter Salas, 11 for 13 from the floor, give him credit. But if Hunter Salas doesn't make 90% of his shots, they might lose to Duke. They're six and nine against the top two quadrants this year. And I, I referenced it with Seton Hall. I like backing a coach. I believe in with the underdog mentality no disrespect to Steve Forbes, who by all accounts is a great person and he runs good offensive stuff. He's done great stuff with the transfers he he has brought in. Um, it, every time I watch Wake Forest in a close game, there's a boneheaded play late and it cuts to Steve Forbes on the sidelines and he's just like laughing about it instead of taking a timeout or instead of helping manipulate the game in a good setting. Uh, I thought Wake almost blew this game with some boneheaded turnovers late while Steve Forbes was just kind of clapping on the sidelines. I don't trust him at all. Um, I have to sell Wake Forest. I think that's a team I'm going to circle immediately, no matter the matchup, and think they're going to lose their first game in the field. Ultimately, I just don't trust the Wake Forest defense uh, when they're away from home, and I think that will end up being their downfall. Calvary's who are you selling? This is a team I'm excited to talk about. You know, finding teams on the bubble that I wanted to buy was a little bit difficult. Selling. Can't wait to sell Utah. Bracket Matrix evaluates the top 100 bracketologists, the ones that are most accurate year over year. Utah is in just 45 of those 100 brackets, making them the most vulnerable at-large team in the hypothetical field. They've lost four or five, including that critical loss to Colorado. I was trying to sell Stuck and Randall on buying Colorado plus 320 to make the tournament on Thursday. I agree with you. I yeah, that, that was the that was the game that they had to have. And in my opinion, it starts to elbow out Utah from the field. And the issue for the Utes, too, is when you look down the stretch, the three games that they have coming up, Stanford, Cal, and Oregon State, that's not moving the needle at all. And if you lose any of those, I think that's it for your at-large hopes, even going into the Pac-12 tournament. 
all of those teams have losing records overall. So that's, you know, you can't do anything about your schedule, but that's a reality. So a top four finish in the Pac-12 is off the table. That means the buy to the quarterfinals is gone. And then there's a lot of statistical red flags for me. I just talked about the turnover margin. They have negative turnover margin on the season, which is a big issue. Even though they're the fifth tallest team in D1, they're 140 in offensive rebounds per game. 140th, I should say. That's ridiculous. Like, given, you know, Carlson and everything that they have in their front court, they should be a lot better. They get themselves into close games. They're 350th as a team from the line, shooting sub 65%. And then recent losses to Washington, Arizona State, and USC, they're getting worse as the season progresses, not better. So I'm shocked that they're in as many hypothetical brackets as they are. I think this Utes team is also hurt by the fact that the Pac-12 is down. I think that's the public perception. I think that's correct. So... I, I'm just shocked that they're even hovering around on the bubble right now. If I could, I'd probably lay minus 150, minus 200 that they're not going to make the field. I'm looking at bracket makers now. How for Virginia's in 99 of 100 brackets? I know. It's yeah. crazy. <laughs> Who's that one? That one needs a raise who doesn't have Virginia in uh, the one bracketologist. Um, and the net, I got to look at the, the net. New Mexico only dropped four spots in the net for losing the Air Force at home. What is that? Um, they dropped 21 to 25. I figured that they would drink a little bit more than that. Um, yeah, I agree. I don't think Utah's making the tournament. They're, I, I, I'm surprised they're in as of for per bracket matrix. I, I don't think that they're getting in. That blowout loss to Colorado was huge. Colorado, I still they, they'll need to let me look at Colorado. Yeah, they still they still have work to do. They absolutely have to secure. Yeah, they're not in right now. They have to sweep. Four, yeah. And then uh, let's look. So they'll Colorado, one of their biggest issues is their best non-conference win is Richmond. That's it. Whereas you were just talking about FAU. Well, they beat Miami on a neutral. Miami is just fading into yeah, exactly. oblivion straight to hell. Um, <laughs> so that doesn't help. They beat Wazoo at home. Um, but yeah, they're, that's their best. So they got a sweep, which they, they're at Oregon. That's going to be the their toughest game. So if they sweep... They'll be a three seed, and then they'll probably have to get to like the pack. Like they'll have to make a run in the Pac-12 tournament. All right, good stuff there with some buy and sell bubble teams. In right now, twenty days from now, we will all have a bracket. We'll be breaking it down here and elsewhere. So I can't wait. But we have plenty of regular season and then conference tournament action before we get to that point. Speaking of which. Let's go to some spots that we have circled for early in the week for today, tomorrow. If you wanted to mention something, uh, you know, Wednesday or later, you're more than welcome to do so. Uh, I'll kick things off. I played Baylor tonight uh, against TCU. I think I have Baylor a couple points better than TCU on a neutral court. Um, and I think TCU has benefited from a lot of three-point shooting, which is why they've – three-point variance, I should say, which is why they've risen up the metrics at such a rapid pace. But they're shooting – what are they shooting in conference play? 38.2% in conference play. I think they're shooting 40% from three over the past month. They are not a great three-point shooting team. They're also – I just think that this is a decent matchup for Baylor. Baylor in the first meeting, by the way, which went up to triple overtime. It was a crazy game. Shot six of – 22 from three Baylor's on the opposite end of that spectrum. They started off so hot from three and during conference play, they, they, I think are due for even a little bit of a positive aggression bump here. So I think this game should be closer to like one 
pick, maybe. We'll see if Langston Love goes. We'll see if Uday goes. But I think this is more of a coin flip game. I think Baylor bounces back from that loss against Houston, and uh, this game goes right down to the wire. So I, I took the points with Baylor tonight. Greg, any thoughts there, and what do you got? Baylor's an absolute don't touch for me, mostly because I'm like a bitter ex with them and the, them forcing me to buy Calabrese's shirt right now. But I like the spot. I like the 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 logic behind it from you. I, uh, I'm going to go back to the well, boys. You guys have heard me talk about this team, but I've got a spot for Tuesday. It's Loyola Chicago. They're going to be underdogs on the road at St. Bonaventure. Uh, I am just convinced that this team is legitimately good, and I like the way they have trended. If you go through the Torvik numbers and you sort it by month, this team is getting better and better and better month by month over the course of the season. Uh, Since January 1st, they're 56th in the nation. Since February 1st, they're 33rd in the nation, and that matches what I'm seeing with my eyes. They don't do anything particularly special. Like This isn't an elite team in any one area, although they are pretty great uh, protecting the rim because Miles Rubin as a true freshman is one of the best block rate guys in the sport. He's going to be a problem for years to come, but they're just very solid. They don't really beat themselves too much. They've covered seven consecutive games right now. I still feel they're, they're very mispriced in the market. Um, and for this game specifically against the Bonnies, I think Loyola is going to get some pretty easy looks here. And with Ruben, I don't think Bonaventure is going to get much. Loyola shoots 53% from two-point range on the season. That's 86th in the country. The Bonnies are 264th nationally in two-point defense. Uh, If Loyola is able to execute on shots at the rim here, I think they're going to open up at least as like three or four-point dogs, if not more. Kempom has it as a five-point spread. Uh, I think they can win this game, but anything uh, on the plus side, I think there's value. Yeah, Loyola seemingly just covers every game now. Uh, so that was the update from Greg, a.k.a. the president of the Drew Valentine fan club. Uh, He's good, uh, man. He's good. Like, stuck. Are you I know. I give you credit. Eyes? I give you credit. Well, look, look, did... look me in the eyes, man. Like, Dusty May is the hottest name on the board for the coaching carousel this year. Why? Why? We got a 32-year-old killer in Chicago right now who just signed two international four-stars this week. Like, he deserves a little love. Yeah, I mean, is uh, what job would you rather have, Loyola or DePaul? Loyola, well, DePaul, no, 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 thanks. I think that's right. Yeah, it's pretty crazy to say though. Real quick on Dusty May, how did he get all those guys to come back? I think if they end up going because they made a run. Here's the crazy thing: if they didn't make a run, though, like say they lost in the first round, like well, a lot of those guys either going to the NBA or testing pro waters or transferring, right? He didn't just you know, say for sentimental factors, let's run it back. And well, they, they got all, paid. They all too. had a Coach but Carter saying, moment or something. Like, no, yeah, they, they, they got, got a bag. Yeah. yeah, they got a bag. But listen, if they didn't, the crazy thing is like, because of that run, as Greg alluded to earlier, he probably should have taken like a job somewhere else. It's the peak of his value. The opportunity was probably the best for him. But if they lose that game to Memphis, then... His name is, this is life. This is like life. Life is just a bunch of, you know, you set yourself up for success, but then a lot of it is just, you know, people that are like CEOs of companies, you you, you get them in a room and give them true serum. A lot of them are very open about this, but they'll just say like, yeah, I got a couple lucky breaks, right? Uh, I was at the right place at the right time. And then I got promoted to here and there. And then I uh, was friends with this guy. And that's what it is. So he should have taken that job there. If you'd like life, make a tree of his life. He didn't, he came back. But if they didn't make that run, then none of those guys probably come back. And then FAU is just terrible this year. Does he then 
but then but he had the opportunity pretty crazy i don't know Talk well i mean it. last thing on dusty may because I, I know people are not tuning in for the dusty may show but if he wins a tournament game gets in wins a tournament game and then you know they lose by six to a two seed or a one seed like are, are you back in on him being a hot name or do you think well, it's he, if totally he makes a run yeah or if he yeah i mean he'll he'll i don't think he'll be if he gets to like the second weekend again with this team yeah he'll be a hot commodity again uh, obviously, if they go to like the Elite Eight again, too. But yeah, if they win a game, I think he'll get his job. But I just don't think it'll be as good as the job he would have got if he did it after last year. Yeah, my play on Monday is also the Baylor TCU game. I agree with you. I think Baylor's a little bit better on the road. And I think for that reason, it's going to be a back and forth game. I like over 148. TCU, you mentioned it. They've been hot from three. They've scored over 75 points per game in four straight. The last time these two teams played, they both had 76 points in regulation. And Baylor remains a bottom third defensive team in the Big 12, nearly outside the top 100 in Torbic. And both have something to bring to the table in terms of pushing this game over the total. TCU leads the nation in fast break points at almost 20 per game. It helps that they're shooting so well from three-point range, but they don't absolutely have to have that to score in the 70s, whereas Baylor's the second-best three-point shooting team in the country, over 40% from long range. So I'll go with kind of a carbon copy of their first meeting and see this game played in the mid to upper 70s and go past the number of 148. Uh, I'll bring up two other ones for tomorrow just quickly. You mentioned it, Greg. I don't know if you're going to talk about this, but I'll be curious to see. I mean, the spot is there for Notre Dame, who's playing better of late. They're going to get Wake Forest at home, who basically you know got their biggest win of the season against Duke. They basically, you know, everyone has said you punched your ticket now, right? So you got to get up and yeah, get motivated and focus for a game against Notre Dame, who has been playing better. They were they almost came back from twenty nine down, which would have been. Against Syracuse, they lost by three. Thoughts and prayers, anyone who laid four and a half. Uh, that would have been the biggest comeback since I think it was like Delaware Drexel. One of those teams came back from like 34 down in like 2018, which is a wild game. Um, but I'll be looking. Let's see. What do I project this at? Uh, yeah, I would love to get like seven and a half or more. Don't know if we'll get it. Probably get like five. Um, and then I'll be looking to potentially fade my cats, Kentucky, off that win. They're probably going to be a short dog, but I, I, they're just not consistent enough for me yet. And Mississippi State is – I know that they beat them at home earlier this season, but Mississippi State – they got Kentucky got a very generous whistle in that game at home. Mississippi State's like the exact team that, you know, with Tolu Smith in the middle, very physical – team so the spot is there for mississippi state and i think the bulldogs are the exact team that i think kentucky struggles with especially on the road so line dependent but i'll be looking at for potentially mississippi state and notre dame on tuesday in some good spots uh what do you got greg my last one's another tuesday night spot and uh i'm gonna try to learn from mistakes on the weekend here i was vocal that without kevin mcculler kansas was dead to me not so much. Uh, Kansas at home. Fog Allen still has Fog Allen powers. They got BYU here. Ken Palm has Kansas as a four-point favorite at home over BYU. I have no idea what this is going to open up at. Honestly, I'd, I'd love your guys' thoughts here because it, it feels like we're going to get 
Kansas backers are going to get some value given the fact that McCullough is out indefinitely. Um, but the metrics love BYU in a big way still, despite all of their struggles. I don't really get it. I think this BYU team is pretty fraudulent in my opinion. They've lost three straight in Big 12 play, all by 10-plus on the road. Uh, two and six overall in true road games this year. 0-6 oh, overall in road games against the top 69 teams in the country. They haven't beaten anybody with a pulse. This is one of those turnarounds where, you know, Saturday to Tuesday, BYU on the road, two straight games, Kansas at home, two straight games. And maybe I'm getting duped by this, but I, I felt the eye test of watching Kansas against Texas. It looked like a team that was no longer in limbo, whereas the last couple of weeks, it's like, well, is McCuller back? Is he not? Over the weekend, it looked like a team that knows they're not getting McCullough back for a while. So, Dewan Harris, you need to be more aggressive. Nick Timberlake, you're playing 30 minutes. Get over it. Show up. They did. Like, these guys all elevated their games over the weekend. Part of that was the fact that they're playing a Texas team that looked clueless defensively. But I think BYU has some clueless vibes defensively as well. Uh, if that's anything under, like, Kansas minus six, even up to maybe six and a half, seven at home, I love the Jayhawks in that spot. I think they're the class there. Yeah, BYU is an interesting case study because, yeah, the metrics still love them. Um, and, like, the metrics, like, the Ken, sites like Ken Palm, they, they, they're, like, equal to Kansas, right? They're, like, in that 15-ish range. And that's because they beat the shit out of teams early in the season. And, I mean, BYU, they were beating teams by, like, 50 and 60 points. But just look at their defense on the road. They might get cooked in transition here. And, yeah, if you like Kansas, I would bet them early because you also saw Kansas State. <clears throat> I had Kansas State. I think I bet them plus two overnight. If you go right before game time, Kansas State got hammered. I think they closed as a two-point favorite. Um, and they just kept taking money. So, yeah, there's certainly – uh, some people, I think, wisely betting against BYU, especially on the road. Uh, they are they are just a different team. Their defense falls off a cliff, and yeah, I'm, they just might get cooked by this Kansas offense that was what shot almost like seventy percent um, against Texas. I don't know. I don't think Texas was ranked, but Wake Forest almost broke the record for field goal percentage against a ranked team over the past twenty five years against Duke, but they missed a couple late. But I believe then later in the day, Kentucky actually broke the record. Um, <laughs> What did they end up shooting? They shot, yeah, 63.1%. I think that's the record over the past 25 years against a ranked team. So, anyway, uh, some crazy offensive output on Saturday. What do you got? You got anything else, Calvary's? Yeah, I got one more going with an A-10 special here. Davidson traveling to Dayton. Dayton probably laying 10 in this game. You may be able to get a single-digit number because Davidson's season has really kind of fallen apart in heartbreaking fashion for their five losses or excuse me for the yeah for their five losses have been five points or less and like it's it's difficult to look at that and think to yourself that the wildcats are going to mail this game in or they're going to get run off the floor but the last time they played they lost by 13 against the flyers and that was a game that Holmes really didn't do much on the offensive end. And then I always circle this in Anthony Grant's special off of a loss since taking over at Dayton in 2017. He's covered 60% of the time coming off of a loss. That's top in the A-10, ninth nationally. 
And I really like Dayton to shut down Davidson again defensively. Evan Maya has four Dayton starters in the top 10 of ind individual defensive ratings in the A-10. And for that reason, I think it's going to be a very similar outcome to the first go around. I would love to get it under 10, but I'd play it up to 10, 10 and a half. Yeah, the, that, that, Davidson's actually impressed with the defensive end, but that offense, it just doesn't work if you can't shoot. And they can't shoot. So like, and they miss Scoggin in that aspect as well. But that, they they're they're like outside the top three hundred, I think, from three point range. And the, that offense just doesn't work if you don't have shooters, which they've generally had under the McKillops. So uh, yeah, I'm not a fan of this Davidson team, but their defense has been much better than I expected it to be. All right, good stuff there. It is the last non March early week episode. We'll be back next Monday to recap the weekend and look ahead to the early week when it is March. And guys and three men, we will be back Wednesday. We'll be back later in the week. Also BBOC Live, we'll have an episode Tuesday night and Saturday morning as always, 10.30 a.m. Eastern. So make sure you check us out there. Also subscribe, unsubscribe, subscribe, tell a friend, tell an enemy. Thanks to Greg and Mike for joining me. Thanks to our producer, Matt Mitchell on the back end. Most importantly, thanks to all of you for tuning in. Leave a five-star review, say whatever. Did some giveaways last week. I'll do a bunch more throughout March. Uh, so those really help us out. But thanks for tuning in. Good luck on all of your wagers this week. March will be here soon. Cheers. Action Network reminds you, please gamble responsibly. If you or someone you care about has a gambling problem, help is available 24-7 at 1-800-GAMBLER.